Glad that you chose to worship with us today. God is good and all the time. My name is John and I'm blessed to be the pastor here. I'm going to invite you to find your way to Acts chapter 26. Acts 26 will be there in a moment. And uh, we are continuing, but kind of transitioning a little bit, our focus on the theme, Join the Story. We have spent the last two weeks uh, talking about Join the Story, more from a perspective of like world outreach. And two weeks ago, we had Bruce O'Neill, the founder uh, of MANA Worldwide. If you're not familiar with MANA, MANA has uh, in over 200 centers, feeding centers and schools, some orphanages in over 40 different countries. And, and MANA really was birthed out of a member of Hallmark, uh, Bruce and Pam O'Neill. And so we got to hear, uh, you know, he, he kind of challenged us that doing something for God sometimes is a little scary. And you got to take a take a step of faith. And then last week, we got to hear the story of, of Ange Rakundo. If you haven't watched that online or you weren't here last week, let me encourage you to go online on our website and watch that. Um, if you weren't prepared last week to buy a book, you can buy one in the foyer when we're dismissed. Uh, it's a story of his life. He spent 13 years as a refugee from Rwanda, and all the money, all the proceeds from that book are going to go back to feeding kids through a manna worldwide. And so, um, I encourage you, if you haven't got the book, to get that afterwards. But we're kind of shifting from thinking outside, maybe to thinking in our own neighborhoods, or our workplace, or where we go to school, or maybe even where you get your hair cut. Uh, we all have an opportunity to invite someone to join the story. And, and as Violetta already mentioned, in two weeks, I cannot believe that Easter is two weeks away. It's just blowing my mind. You remember last year we spent Easter at home watching on TV, and so I am glad we're not doing that. Can I get amen to that? Glad that we're here and in person. Uh, but the truth is, we want to challenge you in the next two weeks to join the story. And I think one of the greatest tools that you have to use for God's glory is to tell your story. I think that's the greatest tool that you have for God's glory is to tell your, your story. And so we want to encourage you to do that. And so um, what we're trying to encourage you to do is maybe you can do that by walking across the street. Maybe you can tell the person who's cutting your hair because probably all of you are going to get your hair cut between now and Easter. Um, maybe you can do that by sharing at, at, uh, on the ball team or your work or just wherever you might go. But another great way to do that is, is on social media, whatever platform you might be a part of is to share your story, a quick one minute, two minutes. Some of you might be a 20-minute video of your story. Use the hashtag join the story just so we can go look at all of them and then, and then uh, tag Hallmark in that. So I'll give you an example. Here's, here's mine. It's only like one minute long, so. Hello, I just want to take a second to tell you my story. Uh, some of us are really good friends. Some of us are, you know, just Facebook friends and we haven't talked in a long time uh, maybe we don't even know each other that well and so I just want to take a moment to tell you my story you know I grew up in church my entire life but it wasn't until 17 that I really had peace in my life I didn't really know I didn't really know God I knew a lot about God I knew a lot of Bible stories but I had never really given my life to God and because of that I didn't have peace in my life and so at the age of 17, I made a decision that I would give my life to Jesus. I would surrender everything to Jesus. And uh, I said, God, I'm yours. And I placed my faith 
and the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And from that moment, even though life has not always been easy, God has given me peace. And so I want to invite you to join me uh, this Easter Sunday, April the 4th, at Hallmark Baptist Church, 915 or 1030, because I want to invite you to join the story. All right, so it's pretty simple, right? You can, everybody could do that, right? Raise your hand. You think you could do that? Just maybe, maybe, raise your hand. Uh, invite someone to join the story. Here's, here's the simple thought this morning, that we all have a story, and God wants us to share it. I think your story should have three parts to it, because here's, here's what the Scripture teaches us, that as followers of Jesus, we, we are on assignment. We are to make disciples. That's the mission of the church. That's the mission God gave us. It's the Great Commission, make disciples. For us here at Hallmark, our, our vision in order to fulfill that mission is pretty simple. It's leading people to find and follow Jesus. And again, I think the greatest way for you to help someone or to share your faith or, is just to tell your story. And there's three parts to your story. Maybe you're not quite aware of this. Okay, If you heard uh, during the worship uh, music, uh, Blaine gave his testimony and Blaine did an excellent job. Someone, it wasn't me, someone must have coached him really well because there was three parts to his story. Everyone has three parts to the story. It is what he was like before he met Christ. Then he tells the moment when he gave his life to Christ. And then what has changed since he gave his life to Christ. And probably if you think long enough and you want to tell your story quickly, you could probably narrow it down to one word. There's one word that changed. Did you hear Blaine's story? He said, before I met Christ, I didn't have purpose. I met Christ, and Christ gave me, what was the word? Purpose. You heard me tell my story. There was one word that I keyed in on, and that word was peace, because I had grown up in church my entire life. I knew all the scary stories. I knew that if I died in my sins, that I hadn't allowed Jesus to pay for my sins, that I would spend an eternity place called hell. And so because I wasn't sure about my decision, I wasn't sure that I'd ever give my life to Jesus, I didn't have peace in my life. And I gave my life to Christ the week after I graduated high school at the wonderful, dirty Brownwood Youth Camp. About 2 o'clock in the morning, I woke up my uh, youth pastor and said, Hey, I need to give my life to Jesus. And from that moment, the peace that was missing, God gave me peace. So maybe it's purpose for you. Maybe it's peace. Maybe you live in fear. Maybe you live uh, with anxiety. Maybe you don't have joy. I don't, but I'm guessing you could probably, if you think about it, what was the one thing, what is this one word you could use to... Say, you know, before I met Christ, I didn't have peace. I met Christ, and he gave me peace. In fact, I think your story is the most impactful thing for you to use, and I think it's because we see that in Scripture. So if you've already found your way to Acts chapter 26, uh, Paul is who we're going to look at this morning. And in Acts chapter 26, Paul had spent two years in, in prison uh, the governor didn't really want to upset the Jewish people, so he didn't bring uh, Paul before the court, because he just, so he just left him in prison. But now there's a new governor, it's Festus, and so Felix didn't want Paul, he left him in prison. 
Felix wanted to hear Paul's story, so he brings him to the court. And it just so happens that when he does, uh, Agrippa Herod II is there. And it's in our text as King Agrippa. And so Paul gets to tell or give a defense. Why are you in prison? Why have the Jews arrested you? And why should we let you out in front of the crowd? And I believe Paul to be the greatest missionary to ever live. And what does Paul do when he gives his defense before Agrippa and Festus and all the people? He tells his story. And you'll see in the story he tells what he was like before Christ, how he met Christ, and what's changed after he met Christ. So let's look at it. Acts chapter 26, verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So he opens the floor, gives him the floor. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you're an expert in all the customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. It's hint a little bit of flattery there in verse 3. Verse 4, my manner of life from youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, and he says, as he's kind of referencing the crowd, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, and if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of religion, I lived a Pharisee. And Paul is saying to all the Jews in the room, if they were willing to get up and testify, they would tell you that I am the Pharisee of Pharisees, that I was of the strictest, I mean, I'm a church guy. That's what he's saying. Verse 6. And now I stand and I am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. Again, he, you understand as he speaks to these leaders, he's also speaking to the crowd. And so he's saying to the Jews that are listening, I stand here judged because I have hope in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the message that he gave our forefathers. Verse 7, to this promise are 12 tribes earnestly serving God night and day. Hope to attain for this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I'm accused by the Jews. In other words, Paul is saying, because I place my faith in Jesus, who was buried and came back to life, which, oh, by the way, God told our forefathers was going to happen. Because I believe that and I have hope in that, that's why I stand here judged by the Jews. Verse 80 says, why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? And he's, again, uh, so king, is it really a crime for me to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? That's why I'm here. Verse 10, or excuse me, let's look at verse number 9. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So we, in the first, you know, eight verses here, kind of get a little background, but in verse 9, it really transitions to where he's now talking about, okay, before I met Jesus, this is what my life was like. Okay, so if we're thinking about our stories, it's for Blaine and his story, it was like I didn't have purpose. For me, it was I didn't have peace. So here Paul's going to say, here's what my life was like before I met Jesus, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. He, he, he wants to leave no doubt. Peter, in, in, earlier in Acts, when he preached before several times, he says, 
Uh, Jesus of Nazareth, he's speaking to the Jews, the religious leaders, says, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, the one that you killed, the one whom God raised from the dead, yeah, that's who I believe. And Paul is saying the same thing. It's Jesus of Nazareth. He doesn't want to leave any room for doubt of who he's speaking of. Jesus of Nazareth. That guy is the one I was attacking. Paul said, I was contrary. I was going against anything that Jesus, any of the Jesus followers, and it really gives some information here. Look at verse 10. This I also did in Jerusalem. Many of the saints, so who's he referencing saints? So make sure we understand. He's saying many of the followers of Jesus, I shut up in prison. And I'd received authority from the chief priest, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Think of what Paul is saying here. Before I met Jesus, I didn't just not believe in him. I arrested believers. Not only did I arrest them, but I had them killed. You know, you know what that speaks to me as I think about, and that's why Paul would reference himself as the chief of sinners. When we think about our story, you know, and I think about Paul's story, what it tells to me is that when I think of what he had done, killed people in the, that believed in the name of Jesus, God still loved him. In fact, what we read in Romans is, it says, God demonstrated his love toward us, toward you, that even while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. I think about the love that God extends to us. The, the picture we sang about was he was a good, good father. What it speaks to me is that no, no, none of us have, have done so many bad things that God doesn't love us. This man killed people who claimed the name of Jesus, and yet still God reaches out to him, and God still rescues him, and God still says, I love you, and God says, I have purpose for you. And so, you know, a lot of people, when they hear about Jesus, they, their first reaction is, well, I, I'm not sure if I've been good enough. I'm not sure that he could forgive me. You, you don't know my past. You don't know my story. I, I've done way too many things, and I say, this story tells me that nobody is too far from God, that God can't forgive you. And so Paul tells them, look at verse number 11, and he says, I punished them often in every synagogue, and I compelled them to blaspheme. I think what he's saying here is that I, I tortured them. I tried to convince them. I tried to torture them so they would say, no, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in the resurrection. I don't believe in the hope that our forefathers talked about. He says, I have persecuted them even to foreign cities. He continues the story, and he says in verse 12, While thus occupied, in other words, while I was persecuting them, I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest. He said, At midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me, and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying to the Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Verse 15, so I said, who are you, Lord? He said, and these three words changed Paul's life. 
He hears the voice. He's blinded by the light. He's fallen to the ground. Why are you persecuting me, Saul? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus answers and says, I am, say it with me, Jesus. And it changed everything. The moment that Jesus revealed himself to Paul changed everything. Do you remember the moment that Jesus finally got your attention and you made that decision? Raise your hand. Do you you remember that moment? I told you about the moment for me. 1991, I was 17 years old. Had just graduated from high school. And I knew all the stories I knew all about God, but I hadn't asked Jesus to be my Savior. And Paul hears the words that change his life, I am Jesus. Verse 16, Jesus continues to talk, says, rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this, you might want to circle this word, I have appeared to you for this purpose. You see, when, when Jesus enters your story, just as Blaine already told us, he gives you purpose. He gives you meaning for life. And here's his purpose. Here's all of our purpose. We, we've all been assigned. We've all have the great commission. And the Bible says that we are to be salt and light. And then the Bible says if you have lost your saltiness, you know what it says? You're good for nothing be cast out and the old King James to be trodden underfoot of men can we just pause for a moment and and do some self-evaluation this may be difficult it's easy for us as church people to look the outside and say look how terrible the world is I think we'd all agree things are a little crazy right now right But how should people who live in darkness act? And how are they going to know if we don't tell them? Here, here's what I'm uh, ashamed of. I, I think the church, and I'm speaking the church universal, but probably for us as well, I think we've lost our saltiness. And I think we forgot what purpose we're here for. Jesus presents himself to Paul and says, I have a purpose for you. We have the same purpose. Let's, let's read what that is. Verse 16. Arise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of these things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send. I think of these words that we have a purpose, that we are to be a witness, that the Lord has sent us. And it says then to open their eyes in order to turn them from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The reality is, follower of Jesus, the gospel came to you on the way to someone else. And unfortunately for many of us, the gospel stopped with us. 
Let me say that again. The gospel came to you on the way to someone else, and I'm afraid that for many of us, the gospel has stopped with us. How shameful for us. Look at the words it's described here. We're going to tell the people so they can come from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Do you realize that what we have in Christ means everything? And yet, it's so difficult to talk about. Let's keep reading because it's getting really quiet. Verse 19. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. But I declared first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Because I talked about Jesus. That's why I'm here. Therefore, having obtained help from God to this day, I stand witnessing both the small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said he said would come. And here's the gospel in verse number 23. That Christ would suffer, that he would be raised from the, uh, he would be raised, he would be the first, excuse me, to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Similar to 1 Corinthians 15, it says, simple, the gospel is what? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Do you believe in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus? Do you believe in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus? And if you believe that, and if you place your faith in Jesus, that he is the only way, he is the truth, he is the life, that he's the only way to get to God, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, then you have been commissioned by God to tell people about Jesus. The gospel came to you on the way to someone else, and I'm afraid that it has stopped. I'm thankful it didn't stop with Paul. Verse 24. Now as he thus made his defense, Festus with a loud voice, Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad, or you're crazy. Verse 25. But he said, Paul answers, I'm not mad, I'm not crazy, most noble Festus, but I speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I speak freely knows these things, for I'm convinced that none of these things escape his attention. Since this thing was not done in a corner, King Agrippa, and he addresses specifically to the king. King, I've told you my story. Do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. And we think about Paul, the greatest missionary to ever walk the face of the earth, who, who, who knows how many people came to faith in Jesus because of the testimony and the story of Paul. And Paul stands before King Agrippa and says, do you believe? And what does he answer? Almost. You persuade me to be a Christian, Paul. Almost. I think there's some encouragement in this verse, though. It's not my responsibility to, to make people give their life to Christ. It's my responsibility to tell them how they can give their life to Christ. And sometimes when you tell your story, people are going to believe. And sometimes when you tell your story, people are not going to believe. But it's your responsibility to tell them. 
the greatest missionary of all time, tells this story, and the king says, no, thank you. But Paul was responsible and faithful to tell a story. Look at the next verse, verse 29. Paul said, so we, we see the purpose of Paul is to lead people to find and follow Jesus. And here in this verse, if we don't just quickly glance over it, we can see that Paul had a passion to see people come to know Christ. Look what he says. I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me to, today might become most, both, almost, and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. You, you hear what Paul is saying? The king has just said, almost you persuade me. And Paul says, oh, I wish to God that you would give your life to Christ. And I wish everyone that could hear me in this room right now would come to Christ. Paul was so focused on his purpose and had such a passion to see people come to know Jesus that affected every area of his life. You know, a couple years ago, um, I was asked to speak uh, at my, where I went to college. And um, in fact, that week, there was about five of us that we, most of us went to college together. Um, and they asked us all to speak, which I'm, I, they might have been a little crazy to ask us. But they asked me to go first and preach first. And uh, if I'm going to be really honest, I probably did better than the rest of them. But I'm just kidding. So I preached, you know, this great message, and then the next two days I, I listened to, uh, my brother preached a message, John Sladen, who's a pastor in Midland, preached a message, and Brian Moore, who's a pastor in California, preached a message, and Sean Sears, who pastors in Boston, preached a message, and I listened to every one of their stories, and I got really, really convicted. And I realized I was really glad that I went first. Because every one of them told a story of a neighbor or a friend that had given their life to, that, to Christ in the last six months. That they had been actively praying for that this person would come to know Christ. And I thought to myself, if they called me up on the stage right now and asked me to tell a story, I don't have a recent one. And I went home, and, and I got a prayer list. I said, I got I to gotta meet some people that don't know Jesus. I got to have a burden, like Paul did, to tell people about Jesus. Uh, this week, as I was thinking about this message, I looked back at my uh, 2020 journal. And January 1st, 2020... If, if I knew what was coming, I'm not sure what I've written down, but I, I have on my prayer list this year. This is what I want, some goals for 2020. This is what I'm praying for, Lord. And one of them was um, Andy and Mindy Stell. 
And I wrote their name down and just really began. Joy and I began to really pray, God, allow us an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And on May the 11th, you know, during the shutdown, you're not supposed to go out of your house, all that thing. I met with, I'm talking to Siri apparently, I met with Andy in his garage, May 11th, 2020, and he gave his life to Christ. And then on May the 18th, the very next week, his wife Mindy came over to the house and, and Joy got to pray with her and she gave her life to Christ. But you know how I met Andy and Mindy? Is that a college girl was babysitting for them and she invited them to church. And because of one invitation, their middle school boy has been saved and baptized. Andy and Mindy have both been saved and baptized. One invitation and one decision to pray. You know, I think about my own story. My, gr my grandmother, my dad's mom, didn't grow up in church. And one day when she's about 14 years of age, she was walking to school, back and forth to school or to the bus stop, and uh, a girl invited her to church. And my grandma gave her life to Christ. And I think one invitation could change a family tree. And why is it so hard for us to do that? And, and my challenge for you is really simple today. It's a question. Who are you actively praying for right now that doesn't know Jesus? And if you don't have anyone on your list, ask God to give you someone. Pray that God would give you the passion Paul had to stand before the king and say, I wished everyone that heard my voice knew Jesus. I want you to hear Andy's story uh, this morning, so watch the screen. I grew up a couple hours south of Chicago in the Midwest in a farm community. Uh, my background is my family was Catholic. That's kind of pretty traditional for that uh, part of the U.S. You know, although I had kind of that foundational setup growing up, I never really felt like I had, you know, a deep connection with Christ. I always felt like, uh, you know, I always tried to do good things and try to be a good person, but uh, obviously we all make mistakes. Um, you know, throughout our lives, and, and, and definitely the, the military presents its challenges for, you know, putting obstacles in your way. Moving, you know, from the Midwest and getting down here to Texas was a big step for us. Uh, we had two children at the time, and uh, we got here to Texas, and we're kind of looking for, you know, something to connect to in, in a community-type setting, and I was checking out some, some other uh, uh, faiths around town and really never felt uh, you know, a good vibe of where we were landing. So uh, we ended up coming to Hallmark, and what I noticed right away is uh, after coming a couple times, like people remembered my name. You know, that does not happen traditionally in the Catholic faith. You know, you just kind of go to Mass and, you know, go your separate way, and you're, you're, you're very kind of removed from 
that family setting, so to speak. And uh, I saw, you know, the way the kids were reacting. There was tons of options for the kids. You know, I would always ask them, hey, do you like going? Is this a place you guys are, you know, learning something and, you know, maybe having some fun? And, and they were. And it, it was great to see because I really never had that growing up. What kind of quickly started to happen is, you know, things were starting to deteriorate, you know, at home, at work. Uh, and I was always the guy that always had things put together, you know, and that was always my, my presentation. And even coming into Hallmark and meeting people and, and them learning my story now, they, you know, the response is like, man, I never knew you were struggling with this or struggling with that. You always look so put together. You, your family looks great. You guys are always smiling. The kids look great. And, um, so that's, you know, kind of how my life was separated from Christ, very, very hidden and, and very closed off. Uh, thinking we're doing the right things and then um, it got to a point where um, I knew accepting Christ in my life was something I had to do. I just kept getting drawn closer and closer uh, and when I finally made that step um, I just felt this sense of peace. I felt this sense of you know this purpose kind of being found and um, you know from then on just continuing to learn and to read and to understand the Bible and uh, I finally had this connection with Christ and, and what a transformation it's been for me personally, for my family, for my kids. Um, it's just been, you know, something I, I never even realized that it could be as, as, as kind of good as it's being. And I, I, I don't want to come off like it's, you know, this great thing. We still struggle. We still have, you know, things we have to deal with. But I feel like having Christ in my corner now has really set me up to fulfill the rest of my life and you know see the kids grow and have that foundation set for them so just a thought this morning before we close you know Andy and Mendy and their family came because their babysitter invited them to church who are you inviting who are you praying for